You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite Lorecast on the Citadel. Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Spectres, welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We have a very special N7 day episode for you in the Mass Effect universe. This is, uh, or at least among the fans, this is a lot like Christmas, but not quite Christmas, but it's sort of Christmas because we have a very special present for you today. Sam, I'm going to hand this off to you. We have a very special guest joining us. You probably recognize him from his uh, standout roles like the Elcor Bouncer, uh, Niftu Cal, the Biotic God, the Preaching Hanar, and yeah, who could forget? Blasto. No, of course, I'm joking, uh, because we have with us someone who needs no introduction, the man behind the voice of Commander Shepard, Mark Muir. Thank you for joining us, Mark. Not at all. Thanks for having me. And happy N7-Day Eve. Yes, happy N7-Day to, to everyone, all of our listeners. This We're recording this on the 6th, but this will be out on podcasting platforms on the 7th. So... Excellent. I'm excited about uh, in seven day. And, you know, I can imagine that things are probably picking up for you, Mark, around in seven day. Uh, I know that you were you were doing something Mass Effect related before this. What, what else have you been doing, you know, Mass Effect E around uh, around this holiday for the community? Uh, well, just earlier this afternoon, I was recording a Mass Effect role playing game with the cast of uh, Mass Effect Ventum. Uh, and they had me on. Hmm. Back in 2020, at the, the start of their second season, this was another season debut for them, uh, and I got to reprise my role as a Vorcha named Vrick, who was always fun to play. And uh, they're a great bunch, so uh, I, I was delighted to return. Uh, we spent a few hours this afternoon recording, and I'm not quite sure when that's going to be released, but probably soonish. And actually, that kind of touched on a question I was going to save for later, but I, I got to know, how do you do the Vorcha voice? <laughs> oh, uh, the version that I do in the role-playing game, a much more toned-down version. I, I'd be pretty raw if I'd spent all that time actually doing the full-on virtual ones. So, uh, no, the 
the, the there was no technique to the way that I did it for the game. I was just like screeching as loud as I could with a mouth <laughs> half full of water. Uh, that was my idea too. I don't know why I did that. But, oh. I mean. I made it hard for myself, but uh, we would tend to save the Vorcha stuff, uh, anything we were recording for the end of the week. That'll we'll do that on the the last thing on a Friday to give you uh, a few days to recover from doing that. Uh, thankfully, the Vorcha didn't have that much dialogue, but uh, it popped up a now and then because, of course, I play all of the Vorcha in the Mass Effect universe. Yeah, I was going to say there, there's a certain level of gurgly quality to it. So the, the water makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, the yeah, secret. But... It's the water. That's amazing. That's how I did it. Well, you you uh, you heard it at the start of our episode here. Uh, you know, you've given your endorsement as Shepard out to many things. I know mm-hmm. that's uh, that's the kind of the gag. So yes, I I, <laughs> I never hesitate to give my endorsement, even for something that I haven't seen yet. I'll be was, happy to do it. Yeah. I was going to ask what what is the most unusual or unorthodox thing that you've ever given Shepard's stamp of approval on. I don't know if there's anything particularly odd. It's, I mean, it's, to be honest, it's usually podcasts and YouTube channels <laughs> and uh, and whatnot. And of course, you know, signing that uh, on eight by tens. But, uh, you know, the th- there is something that I've written on, uh, you know, autographs and those sort of things as much as anything that's in the game, which is, of course, well, bang. OK, uh, which never appears in, in any of the Mass Effect games. But thanks to Manslayer, I, I ended up with uh, a new catchphrase uh, that, that Bioware didn't write. So, yeah, I've, I've written that on posters and stuff as much as anything that's in the game. That's amazing. That's, that's incredible. This is, uh, these are my favorite cotton swabs on the Citadel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, sure, that's probably a close second, but I think we'll bang. Okay. is in the lead and, and, and on, on cameos as well. Yeah. They, they tend to like that one. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So how did you first get connected with mass effect? Like let's go back in time now. Mm-hmm. Was this 15 years ish or it's more 15 years since the release yeah. of, of the first mass effect. Uh, to the, and this year is also the 10th anniversary of the release of Mass Effect 3, but I would have started working on it way back in 2005. Probably wow. was the first. Yeah. Wow. What was that like? I mean, this was obviously a big opportunity, but a, a new IP. You didn't know how big it was going to be. Uh, well, you know, I've been working with Bioware for, uh, you know, since the late 90s, essentially. So I, for many years and uh, doing mostly monster and antagonist voices. And that's why uh, long before I was actually cast as Commander Shepard, I was brought in early in the uh, creative process on uh, the first Mass Effect back when they were at the concept art stage. And I was just basically brought in to do a presentation on what the baseline of every alien race would sound like. This is what a typical Solarian would sound like. This is what a typical Krogan would sound like and and so on and so forth. And uh, I think I've mentioned before in other interviews, they didn't necessarily take all of my suggestions because uh, the Turians, for example, again, we, we didn't even know Garrus was going to be in the game at this point, but I was just like looking at their mouth structure and just, you know, stuff about their culture, you know, the, the binder of stuff I'd been given on all these alien races. And I sort of suggested, oh, okay, well, maybe they could make a little click sound when they, you know, after just because of their facial structure, uh, you know, either at the end of sentences or something like that. When Garrus was you know, actually created and put in the game, it, it was swiftly realized we probably don't want a lot of clicking in. in <laughs> we're going to hear it a lot if it's Garrus. So let's uh, let's nix that. Uh, but some of the stuff they did take, some stuff's fairly obvious, like the uh, the Krogan are large and gruff sounding. That's because they're large and gruff. Uh, but uh, the Volus with their uh, sort of patented wheeze, uh, I threw that in and actually 
for the vulvas I performed actually just did the wheeze myself. It's not a sound effect. Um, the Solarians, I always take credit for the Solarians kind of sounding like Steve Buscemi uh, in terms of cadence and uh, <laughs> uh, just his speech pattern. Uh, I hadn't, I hadn't and, thought about that before. That's amazing. Yeah, Steve Buscemi, he was like, because mm-hmm. the first Solarian I ever played in a demo stuff thing, again, long before I was cast as Shepard, was uh, uh, a Solarian bartender. So that one especially really did sound like Steve Buscemi. Oh, that's amazing. And, uh, and then, of course, I was doing uh, some demo work uh, during that period. That's when I was asked to audition for Commander Shepard. And did, I didn't hold out any hope at all of getting it because up to that point, it's like, oh, well, I mean, this is the lead of the game. So obviously I'll just get to do some aliens. That'll be fine. And so even through all the callback process, I never really put much stock into it until I was told that it was down to like me and two guys from L.A. As to be to actually be Neil Shepard. And uh, so I was very surprised when I actually got it. But, that is amazing. Uh, I also, of course, got got to be a bunch of aliens as well. So I got to be Shepard and aliens. Yeah, I, I know oh, the acting process. You, it's lots of trying out for different roles and trying out not lots. And you're always just like, oh, it'd be nice if this works out. But if it doesn't, that's kind of how most. Yeah, things go. you can't really you yeah. know, pin your hopes on a single audition. It's just like, no, nah, I did an audition. We'll see. We'll see what happens. And in yeah. this case, uh, everything did work out. That's amazing. That, and that that's like I, I feel like, you know, it's it's Shepard isn't just a lead. Right. Uh, because she- Shepard is kind of a unique RPG character, at least. I remember back in 2007 that it was unique to have an RPG character who was who had a like a definitive voice. Well, yeah, I mean, up until that up until that point, it was always just a block of text. And so Jennifer and I essentially had the opportunity to be we will be the first fully voiced protagonist. And uh, so, yeah, Shepard was really groundbreaking in that way. Was it was it difficult having this this RPG lead who could have multiple different backgrounds, a wide scale of morality and motivations? And, and like, how did you affect how did that affect how you approached giving life to some of those lines? Well, of course, uh, Commander Shepard is kind of unique uh, in that their personality is completely shaped by the player. So Shepard could be anything on a wide spectrum of morality, for example, like could be anything from, a, you know, essentially a, a, a borderline sociopath <laughs> and <laughs> certainly extremely violent to essentially a, a Boy Scout or, or Girl Scout. Uh, so that meant that there's no definitive Commander Shepard and you can't go, well, Commander Shepard wouldn't do that. And it's like, oh, Commander Shepard has done terrible things and also very selfless things and could be it, it could be any one of those. Uh, the other thing is, of course, that some not everyone's going to go, I'm going to go pure renegade, I'm going to go pure paragon. Uh, we had to find a voice that would work for people who are like going back and forth, even like taking like really uh, rapid swings in far as, as far as between Paragon, Paragon and Renegade choices without it have, sounding like the character was having extreme mood swings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, there wow. was a baseline to Commander Shepard, and that was a military officer who's used to giving orders under pressure and is cool and collected. Uh, but regardless of whether they're quite moral or if they're just, you know, dirty hairy. That's that's great. You know, um, I, I, I enjoy your voice performances. I love you as oh, male, male shepherd. Uh, that said, I especially love you as renegade male shepherd. Thank I, you. I feel like when my shepherd, when I'm being a total douche, 
and it's your voice being it like it's so good it's it's so well let's face it the renegade interrupts are pretty fun it's so good the the way you deliver them are is just wonderful um and now let's talk about uh some of your favorite memories working on these games because this was over a series of years multiple games um do you have a favorite instance a favorite memory a funny situation something that just comes to mind from doing the lines uh well i mean uh, as far of course i was recording in edmonton where bioware is uh a lot of the cast were in la we had some of the cast in london and whatnot so for the most part i didn't really meet the cast uh until we started doing conventions together like uh, i was and and even speaking to cast members who were in la they didn't really record together yeah yeah we've talked about how how it is phenomenal how good the voice acting is for a bunch of actors who don't actually get to see each other face to face and sometimes don't even have the other person's lines yet or at least you you have them written but you don't have them acted to you uh that's true that that would tend to be if you went early uh, in a given scene because Mm -hmm. often i would have everybody in my uh in my headset like for example uh a scene that uh, is a favorite of both Jennifer and mine, uh, the scene with Keith David. Uh, and spoilers, Anderson's death scene. Uh, I think I think it's fine to get spoilers, <laughs> spoilers. from this thing. Sure. But sure. That, that was uh, a really powerful scene. And to have Keith David's performance in your headset as you're recording it, that was, uh, that was really great. What's the uh, hardest choice you've had to make as a player in the games? Because I know that you've played through the games before. Uh, okay, well, I made some very poor choices in Mass Effect 2, I'll say that, because the first time that I went through as a Renegade, I do, tend to do a Renegade and Paragon playthrough, but the first, you know, the, my Renegade really cut corners, uh, so that suicide mission didn't go so very well at the end. There was, uh-huh. I lost a lot of, lost a lot of characters, <laughs> that one, so yeah, I'll regret, I'll regret a lot of the choices that, and, and I had to go back, it was just like, you know, normally I would just move on to my Paragon playthrough, but it was like, Nope, got a renegade one can't end like that. So you like went fairly far back. To, so there's uh, no there's no shame in saves coming then. Oh no, 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 no. I I certainly have none. Uh, and the the bits of Mass Effect three that I did play through completely, like I was playing at Bioware. Uh, I definitely had no shame about we're playing this on story mode. I want to see all the scenes. So mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and I still haven't done like a complete playthrough of Mass Effect 3 because I got pretty far into it. and But that save was at Bioware. So when I got my copy, it's like I would have to start over from the beginning. And and also there wasn't the incentive of I've got to finish this before we do the next one. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Now, I speaking of choices, we have we have put out two previous surveys uh, mm-hmm. to our listeners here. And it has generated quite a lot of buzz because not everyone, you know, of course, agrees on the surveys uh, and, and the the choices. So I wanted to ask you in kind of rapid fire style, sure. your your choices or the choices that you would consider to be, uh, you know, canon for your playthroughs. Okay. Uh, but Renegade with, and Paragon, like I say, I've done both Renegade and Paragon playthroughs. Which Whichever you like more, I think. Whatever you would consider one. your canon so. playthrough. Yeah. Oh, but I can't. I have to give you equal weight. I can't play favorites. Oh. Even my even my Shepard cosplay is like Two Face style, half Renegade and half Paragon. Oh wow! But okay. yes, I Perfect. will. I will. I will attempt to adhere to your rules. So, All right. So, so so number one, who dies on Vermeer, Caden or Ashley? 
okay. <laughs> this one, I, and I've, I've admitted this to Raphael when we've been on panels together. So this Uh-oh. is this is not a bombshell uh, per se. I killed Caden both times through because my renegade was actually in a relationship with Ashley. So obviously he wasn't he wasn't going to kill his love interest. Uh, and then the Paragon was too much of a Boy Scout to kill the lady. So it was it was Kate both times. I have to do a playthrough where I keep Raphael a lot. I've, I've promised to do that. <laughs> Chat yes, is lamenting Caden right I, now. I, I, I'm very <laughs> I'm so much. Sorry. And Raphael is awesome. And Caden is a great character. It's just that on my specific playthroughs, that's where that's where my shepherds were. And of course, I did things I, again. I. I like to get into the role play of it when I'm even when I'm playing through a game that I recorded dialogue for. So my renegade shepherd, for example, uh, was just he was buddies with the Krogan. Like he got on great with Rex and he got on great with Grunt. So whenever it came to a question of backing the Krogan, he would always do that, even if it wasn't the actual renegade choice. It was always like, no, sorry, man. Krogans are my Krogans are my Brogans. So, yeah, I like that. I like the nuance in in playing your character that way. I I enjoy Mm -hmm. that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So save or doom the Rachni queen. Uh, I believe the uh, renegade choice was to uh, save it because it could be used later. And uh, uh, I think my paragon actually did doom. Because it was oh, like wow. the risk. The risk is too great. The wow. Risk is too great. Wow. Yes, I, I respect that as well. So you already talked about your suicide mission, and I was going to ask you about that. So I'll skip the next one. Did you salvage or did you destroy the collector base? The end of Mass Effect. Uh, Renegade salvaged it at mm. for Cerberus and uh, Paragon destroyed. And uh, the the thing was, like, I, I was as bad as anyone when I came back and was like, what do you mean I don't I don't have access to what do you mean Cerberus has now turned on me? I did so much stuff for them. My Renegade, especially. <laughs> right on. So you and you already answered, you know, I, I was going to ask about the genophage, but I'm 110 percent positive you cure it. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay, so who both, wins the Geth Corian War? Or or do you negotiate peace? Uh my uh Paragon was in fact able to negotiate peace and uh Renegade uh just backed the Corians. Right on. Yeah, I you know, I have there I'm still finding new iterations of that scene with Legion and Tally and Shepard on that Yeah, ridge. it's possible. It's very hard, but you can broker the priest piece where you don't lose either of them and it's it all works out which is good because my paragon's love interest in three was tally so yeah it, it was i had a lot riding on that well tom did you want to ask, ask nice. a question well I, actually i i like this we posted some questions to each other before doing this but this, there's this one specifically um throughout mass effect 3 we really see a difference in tone and from shepherd specifically there's a lot of character development from one all the way to, to three. Uh, what was your thought process behind Shepard's mental state? Like when they tell Garrus, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Okay, now uh, specifically in Mass Effect 3, that was when uh, direction-wise, we were given a little more license to show uh, a bit more emotion. Because in mm. the first one especially, if I ever got a note or had to redo a line, it was like, there's too much emotion in that, we got to level that out. And uh, and one of, one of the reasons was to prevent these massive mood swings in between, but also because Shepard is a soldier and, and does not crack under pressure. The thing is, by the time... You get to Mass Effect 3, even Shepard is starting to crack under pressure because it's been a lot. <laughs> There's, you know, the 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 threat of the Reapers and actually being there and the war against the Reapers and the, just the accumulated uh, battle scars, really, uh, mental as well as physical. Uh, 
that and it, they they were willing to let us show a little more of Shepard's human side and show that she, this is really taking an actual toll on Shepard. And that was that was really cool to get to have that arc over these three games. Yeah, it feels and, a lot looser by the time you get to mm-hmm. the three. His, he feels just more kind of open and expressive. Well, and also because it, it sort of makes sense because up until that point, Shepard hasn't had any of the relationships, whichever ones the players choose. But I suspect that on almost any playthrough, unless, the, you know, I guess there's a playthrough where I didn't talk to the crew. <laughs> I just did the missions. And, <laughs> you know, it probably didn't go well, you know, that if you didn't unlock their loyalty and whatnot. But um, there, there's going to be relationships with whatever crew members you talk to and those relationships then change Shepard and probably for being able to open up more and especially open up around uh, the other members of the crew. And kind of adding on to that, the along with this toll that's being taken on Shepard, you know, the the recurring dream sequences uh, with Shepard running through the forest and hearing the whispers in the background from the fallen squad mates and Shepard himself, uh, and and then finding that, you know, child from the very beginning uh, up in flames in the dream. You know, what do you think that those images and and that sequence of things, albeit, you know, uh, as I can remember with besides the whispers in the background, it wasn't voiced. What do you think that those were supposed to mean for Shepard? Well, it all ties into the indoctrination theory. No, I'm joking, of course. That's what Chad is acting, like actually asking about that. So I don't know if we want to get there at some point. Just wanted to point that out. No, I'll address it now, actually. I am quite familiar with indoctrination theory. And like when it came out and, you know, I actually like read it, people sent this to me and, you know, as I was reading it, I'm just like, Oh, this makes sense. This makes it like this. This could be plausible. Uh, like, was it that? But they just didn't tell me about it. And uh, I don't think it is actually true. And I think the writers have gone on record. But it is a very well thought out theory. I have to say that. Uh, I think. I again, I don't think it ties into a doctrination theory at all. But it does tie into uh, what it, I mean, we've got multiple possible endings. Uh, one that I, I do see a direct link to is if you do the control ending, where essentially Shepard becomes a Reaper. Uh, and I've always thought about that as like, okay, are the things that he's saying, is this the future self who is a Reaper, like sort of broadcasting this back somehow, his consciousness through time? Could that be it? Like that's one possible interpretation. And I think a lot of these things are left open to interpretation like as as uh, as things are in film as as they are in plays sometimes imagery is left you don't necessarily have to go this is what this means and this means a b and c this can be like this is more something that we present to the audience and they interpret it as they see fit you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. 
Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like uh, Tom had said, I I had planned on asking you about the indoctrination theory. And so, like you mentioned, (laughs) we know it's not canon per se. It is Uh, not canon, no. But like I say, when I read it, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, this could, this, this, this could check out. Who knows? It's even so, I, I, I think that the community at large accepts that it's not canon, but there's still mm-hmm. a lot of people who don't trust that star child intelligence at the end. <laughs> our own results of our survey say 76% of them, of respondents, and I think there were 400 respondents, said that they don't. And w- so I mean, this could were... be an elaborate double bluff, a very long con that Bioware is playing and, you know, the, you know, uh, 10 years down the road, they reveal, hi, it was all just indoctrination. I, I, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. No, but I don't... boy, would that be a great long con? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be something? <laughs> that, that would... Like on the 20th anniversary of the game, they go, aha. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And that we would only be... have five years to go, really. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe Hell it'll be on time. the 20th anniversary of Mass Effect 3. So we got 10 years to go. When when you were recording those lines, you know, right at the very end, when you're on top of the crucible uh, and you're mm-hmm. talking with the intelligence, what did you know about how that scene would go? Like, did they give you a lot of prior knowledge or were you just reading the script that, that you were supposed to? Oh, no, to I, I definitely had it explained to me. And I uh, also have the advantage of being uh, doing my recording in Edmonton. Bioware's offices are here. I'd often have writers in my sessions, in my recording sessions. Uh, sometimes uh, the head writer, sometimes uh, Mac was there as well. So. That was really good because whenever you wanted to, you know, it's like, mm, it's a bit awkward. This phrasing is uh, it's a bit of a mouthful to say it this way. Can I just rearrange the sentence? Uh, they could just instantly clear that. Normally, you'd have to go through a process. And we had to keep especially close eye on any dialogue changes because Jennifer and I had to be saying the same thing. So if she recorded first and like they changed a few lines, we all they'd always track to make sure that I had to change dialogue and vice versa. If I recorded first and asked to rephrase something, they'd always make sure that the changes were reflected in her script as well. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I've got a uh, I've got a question I want to ask. Um, so one of our other surveys, our, our results indicated more people feel Edie is a person than the Geth. Edie person, mm-hmm. Geth not people. So the question is, are Geth and Edie people? Uh, I would consider them to be so. They they seem to be sentient. Uh, so, yes. Uh, I would say, you know, a renegade, a particularly renegade shepherd, depending on where they see things lining up, might have a different answer. Uh, I think Edie is more recognized. Her consciousness seems to be more recognizably uh sentient because you know for example her cadence and uh, syntax and everything matches more closely to to what the other characters are doing but i don't think that makes legion or particularly legion or any of the other gath less sentient uh mm-hmm. so i would say yes they are people so that actually was my you follow-up question the vision is a person too okay <laughs> so yeah. that was my follow-up question is why do you think Edie... also johnny five johnny five Short Circuit. also, also yeah. he's alive also um, a person also a person yeah so it's mostly Edie because she's more human-like 
even if yes, none I mean, of them are human human features i mean legion doesn't even have a nose uh it's, it's, <laughs> so, i suppose it's easier to go oh that's just an appliance if they have a big spotlight for a face but uh what we should be looking at as uh what the, the intelligence and uh communication that they're actually capable of yeah good point okay so when it comes to the most controversial choices in the game i i have to ask you which which of the endings do you prefer to the series uh, we t- we talked about uh, uh, one of them before. So I'll say, I'll say this. Uh, when before the extended version of the ending, my favorite was destroy because, you know, of course, that has the shepherd inhalation and all that. And it's like, ah, shepherd survives in that one. So, yes, of course, I picked that one. But after the extended uh, edition, I would have to say uh, control is my favorite ending because I always huh. say it's like that's the one where shepherd becomes Galactus at the end. <laughs> Uh, and of course, you know, Jennifer and I got to voice that ending as well. So that's that's lots of fun. Uh, also, there is uh, there are subtle differences. Uh, they There are two different versions of that final speech. If you're uh, uh, very far to the Paragon end of the spectrum, uh, it's a lot more hopeful. It's a lot more like, oh, OK, this this might work out. And Shepard will be this benevolent entity uh, or what used to be Shepard that is now a Reaper will be this benevolent entity. But the. The extreme renegade one is quite, yeah, that's, it's fairly ominous. And it's just like, oh, this is not going to go well. This is oh, renegade shepherd with the power of a reaper. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, I liked the subtle differences between the two of those. Now, I didn't actually know that there's multiple iterations of the control. And I, cer- I certainly re- I, I certainly did record that. Uh, and I think. Hmm. I wonder if people have actually realized that it's like, oh, yeah, there's there's a slightly darker take on essentially the same dialogue. Well, that's quite possible, you know, because I haven't picked control uh, because mm-hmm. I've always felt like and it was t- it was kind of a like a like a total like gotcha. I felt like that the control was blue. Right. And the destroy was red. Mm-hmm. So. It's Paragon Renegade, and it turned the choices on on players. But when Mass Effect Three ended, not not player wise, but but Mark wise, when it ended, how did you feel? For players, it was this you know really long journey and epic journey and heroes that we all really came to love. But how was it on the other side of things? Uh, well, of course, when the you know Mass Effect Three was released, that was not the end for us because we knew that we had all the DLC uh, yet to come. And uh, so it wasn't until a year after that was the Citadel was the final DLC. And my very last line uh, in that I, I recorded for Citadel. So the last line I did for the franchise was the best, you know, quite, you know, quite a ride. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that was that was really great. I loved I love Citadel as a DLC. Uh, I loved all the in jokes in it, uh, and and the straight up fan service, and uh, getting to play the evil clone shepherd, all these things. Uh, but there was also honest emotion in it as well. Uh, my friend Kathleen Rootsart, uh, one of the writers, if I were, she was a real champion for having the big party on the Citadel, because uh, I, I I think we can we can address it when. Mass Effect 3 came out, there were people who were like quite upset that it was just like, oh, I don't get to say goodbye to these characters that I've spent so much time with. And for that final DLC, uh, Kathleen really, she, as I say, championed it and said, no, these people need a chance to see everybody one last time and say, say goodbye to these characters. And I love the final party. And you also get to see characters 
interact like you you get to see rex and grunt in the same room and and zaid and you know all hanging out again they get you know those three get along quite well uh so <laughs> getting to see all the characters interact in a social setting like that it was uh that's that's a lot of fun and of course there's you know the fun uh evil clone caper that goes along with that and all the in jokes that came with that the uh i should go i should i should go do i sound like that the you know all those things uh you got to have the scene what you know the the scene with uh, me playing Shepard, and then he finally runs into Blasto face to face, who I also do the voice of, and then there's a Vorcha there in the scene as well. So, uh, yeah, fun things like that. Talking to yourself, to yourself, to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, awesome. <laughs> it's it's the magic of not not games. the first time that's happened. <laughs> yeah, me inside my own head. Awesome. Um, uh, I well, know just in the game because of course there's yeah. scenes where. Uh, uh, both Jennifer and I play Mercs as well. And there was a, I think it was, I want to say it was in the second one. There's a little uh, scene where whichever one of us as Shepard is sneaking up on two Mercs uh, and they're played by Jennifer and I. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> so that's we're amazing. We're getting to the end of the half hour. I know we, we've had you for about 30 minutes. Um, oh, yes. yes. You, should we wrap things up? Or are you can you answer maybe I one or two? I can go other a little questions? longer if you get uh, if you have more questions. I don't want to sure. leave you. Hanging. We would love to keep yeah. you here as long as you would love to stay with us. So, um, <laughs> well, not too much longer. Not too much course, longer. You know. Yeah. You let my us know. Wife, my wife wants to, to have supper, so I'm, I, I won't keep her waiting forever. Perfect. Perfect. Um, there, there's something I, I had a question about. Um, Obviously, you're plugged into the community. You've been a part of these games for a very long time now. And then with the bringing back of this trilogy and Legendary Edition and all of that, do you think that there's anything that we as the community don't give enough credit to? We don't talk about enough? Something in the games you're like, oh, this thing is so cool and nobody's talking about it. I, I don't know, because the people, uh, Mass Effect fans in particular, like they, they find all the gems and they find things to love. And there's like, uh, you know, I once actually cosplayed uh, just based on a webcomic called Vorcha Dad uh, that somebody wrote, uh, which was it was basically, <laughs> uh, you know, sorry, of course, uh, no matter uh, what species they mate with, the offspring is always a sorry. So it was about a Vorcha and an Asari who'd had a baby together uh, and the Vorcha had. Uh, you know, because the Asari had a, a good job, the Vorcha became a stay-at-home dad. So it's just like a Vorcha and his Asari daughter hanging out. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there's all that's kinds incredible. of stuff uh, within uh, within the Mass Effect uh, universe uh, like that. So, yeah, I think the, the fans, uh, they plumb every depth and, uh, <laughs> and find every mountain peak. Well, I wanted to get your opinion on this. Uh, this is one of the questions that we asked in our previous survey. And the question is, if there was a spin-off Mass Effect TV show or anime, which of these topics or settings would you like to see? Mm-hmm. And the options being the First Contact War, the Rachni War, or Krogan Rebellions, or a standalone origin series of the Squadmates, similar to those comics that came out. Uh, or Andromeda after the game, after Andromeda concludes. Or a series on the Asari Justicars, or a CSEC crime drama film noir detective story? Mm, I like all of these. Uh, I actually did a role-playing game called uh, a CSEC, Mass Effect CSEC, uh, that uh, I did with a role for it, which was a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. I mean, First Contact War, the, that's that's the big one. I think that's the one you do. And, the, you know, that's like a big main series, and then you could do like little mini-series with... Um, 
uh, like maybe we do a little CSEC film noir thing. Maybe you do a little Justicar uh, storyline. But I think, yeah, first contact where that's that's nice and meaty that, that you can really sink your teeth into. Just turn it into the Mass Effect cinematic universe. Mm hmm. There we go. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Have Have you seen the uh, the anime movie Mark uh, Paragon Lost? I believe I did. Called? Yeah, years ago, when it when it first came out, and uh, yeah, I'd love to see more anime and uh, you know various cartoons, all all styles. Really, it's a big universe, and it supports uh, so much storytelling. As you as you say, like the, you mentioned the uh, the little origin story one shots for the squad mates. That I think that Dark Horse series would be a good one to adapt. And of course, I would like to see an adaptation of uh, Blasto's Dark Horse comic. Oh, I need to see that. Uh, mm. Everyone does. You know, th and this is a question I, I ask my friends all the time. Like, we're, we're, we chat in Discord about it. So I, th I think it's kind of funny to ask you as well. If all of these characters, specifically the squad mates and whatnot in Mass Effect, were real, yes. and, you know, who do you think that you as an individual would get along best with in life? <laughs> Hmm. I mean, Morden probably. <laughs> Morden. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a theater actor. He likes show tunes. He'd probably be yeah. a good patron of the arts. That makes sense. I can imagine he would be very supportive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I would. I I think Morden would be nice to be friends with. You wouldn't want to get on his bad side, though. No. <laughs> no. Very true. Very true. And let's yeah. see uh tally because you know i'm a nerd myself and she's a nerd let's face it and, and if i if i remember right i heard that you had your wife was also a voice on one of the games is that yes right? as a well i in all of the games uh in, as a matter of fact in the first mass effect she is the very first voice that you hear uh she's the alliance computer who sets up your shepherd with you uh she also has a recurring role as an asari scientist called renathanoptis uh, who's engaged in, uh, shall we say, questionable experiments, and you have uh, the choice whether to let her go or, well, kill her in the uh, in the first game. Uh, she comes back, uh, and uh, and then like a, a bunch of alliance folks and whatnot. So did did you kill her as your renegade shepherd, and were you in the doghouse? <laughs> uh, I did not. I did not kill that character, even as renegade shepherd. Like I said, my renegade didn't always go with the renegade choice. Got it. Well, Tom, do you he have did more throw questions? a lot of people out of windows, though, and he stabbed Kai Lang for sure. <laughs> oh, you gotta do. You gotta. You gotta do stab Kai Lang. I. You know what? My Paragon stabbed Kai Lang too. Always, always. I always smash that that uh, Renegade interrupt. That is the one that is non-negotiable for me. Mm -hmm. I always gotta do it. But so, uh, Tom, do we you need have to, any other questions? We need to wrap this up. I've got one last question before we get to the what other things are you working on? You want to share question? But before we get to sure. that, we. Obviously, you said you're a nerd. You love playing these games. You love playing lots of games. You and I talked about some other games, even in the pre-show stuff. Besides Mass Effect, what are your other favorite games? What are your go-tos? Uh, I, you know, I gotta say I love Fallout, and I know you guys uh, do a lore cast on Fallout as well. Yeah, I love the Fallout universe. Uh, love the design of that games, the art direction. I uh, love everything about Fallout. Uh, the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I was playing a lot of Red Dead Redemption 2 because I hadn't actually cracked the plastic on that yet. It was just like, well, about time to play this. And great so game. it was. I yeah. had a great time playing that. Uh, I really had dug exploring all the weird stuff that they had buried in the game, like the uh, 
you know, the, the flying saucer and the vampire and like Sasquatch. in New Orleans. And yeah, yeah all these things, the Sasquatch. Uh, and then things that didn't even have like a mission related to it. I found that one weird little house that has some sort of like Frankenstein experiment with the man, boar, pig, man, the, the sort of like oh. sewn together out of like a boar and a bear. And yeah. 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 yeah that, that game so and good. again, like a beautiful, a beautiful like setting, a little environment, but it actually doesn't have a quest associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's mm. awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to join us and being here and getting to meet you has been wonderful. Um, I know you're working on lots of other projects. Is there something else you want to shout out before we wrap this up? Ah, geez, let's see. Okay, well, of course, uh, I'm in the long dark with Jennifer Hale, and we're not playing the same person this time. We're we're playing a divorced couple, so we actually get to have scenes together, which is always fun. Uh, that comes out episodically, and it's there is of course the sandbox mode where you just it's just all about survival in the north, and uh, there is a story mode as well, and uh, that's a lot of fun. Quite enjoy that very Canadian game. I call it player versus Canada. Uh, yeah, that's, you know. Yes, that's what it is. I didn't realize you guys were in that. That's amazing. Yes, uh, yeah, we are the we are the leads of that game. Uh, let's see, Gotham Knights. Play Gotham Knights. I'm in that. I'm in that. Enjoy enjoy your time in Gotham. Uh, beyond that, uh, I of course uh, am in uh, doing a lot of tabletop RPG stuff uh, lately, uh, especially during the pandemic. I was I've been playing since the 1980s, but I got into the streaming aspect of it. Uh, but actually, I don't I don't do any of the hard work. I just join Zoom meetings and someone else who knows what they're doing makes sure it becomes a stream. But uh, I just wrapped up the Black Dice Society, uh, which was an 18-month Ravenloft campaign, oh. uh, one of my favorite D&D settings. And so all the VOD is up on the, the official Dungeons & Dragons YouTube channel. Uh, it's about 60 episodes to get through of that. Uh, and uh, our story is complete now, so you don't have to worry about, oh, I'm getting behind. You can watch it at your leisure. Uh, beyond that, I'm starting a new actual play that just had its debut at Roll20 Con. Uh, it's called Bookshops of Arkham, and it's a Call of Cthulhu campaign where I am the keeper, and that will be coming out, I believe, later this month uh, from Chaosium and uh, Roll20. And let's see, what else do I actually have to plug? Uh, there's a bunch of D&D things that I, I, they're sold out anyway, so I'd just be bragging if I told you about them. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there was some, if, you know, things where i'm the dungeon master where you can come and play uh i i just got back from D D in a castle uh in the uk uh doing that for the last two weeks actually uh but there's there's a d3 at sea sure i'll plug them anyway uh d3 at sea is coming up because they always have events in the future uh i also did a thing called gaming at the lake uh which is a private game on lake sinclair in georgia at a well-appointed nerdy cabin slash lake house uh just playing dungeons and dragons with me as your dm and uh, beyond that, uh, there's things coming out that I don't think I can talk about yet. Uh, mm -hmm. Wait, no, I think this has been announced. Uh, Mythforce from Beamdog, uh, which is in early access right now. Uh, it's a combination of, hmm, picture every cartoon from the 80s. Uh, and so the old Dungeons and Dragons cartoon with a heaping helping of like uh, Master of the Universe and Silverhawks and various other things. Uh, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. I get to play a villain in that. Oh, cool. I mean, I've seen the trailer. I think there's a trailer mm -hmm. that's out for that. So yeah, go look that up. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you yeah. so much for taking the time to join us and to be here. Happy N7 day. Happy N7 day, everyone. Happy N7 yes. day, everyone. Uh, I should go. I should go, everyone. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, before we before we hang up, we gotta we gotta shout out. We'll our... bang okay, everybody. <laughs> okay so thank you to all of our supporters we're not going to do the normal mid-break and show stuff we're just going to shout out our shepherd tier patrons who help support us and get shout outs uh kokashins kirasi lieutenant susino shep valkyrian and william thank you for your support and thank you again mark mir for being here this has been amazing to uh to everybody else have a wonderful n7 day and we will see you again next week stay safe out there in the galaxy bye everybody Thanks for tuning in to the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at MassEffectLorecast at gmail.com.